You've tuned into the home of Nostalgic Pro Wrestling Podcast. This is Kicking Out at Two as a part of the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dave Rosenbluth. We are back in the saddle again. This this episode here is we're going to be watching the Stone Cold Steve Austin Undertaker Cold Day... Excuse me, easy for me to say. Cold Day in Hell. WWF Championship main event from the Cold Day in Hell pay-per-view on May the 11th, 1997. As we are in the middle of the 25-year anniversary of that event here joining me to watch this what i would like to consider an underrated gem and this is why we're watching it because i watched I remember watching it last year and i was blown away by how really good this match was and going back i've been watching some of the raws recently for the build-up and it's just been some really fun stuff so uh, but joining me uh making his return once again um to cover a little bit of 1997 in the wwf and in wrestling as a whole is my brother justin rosenbluth what's up pal I'm doing good, man. God, WWF 1997 is, um, in my opinion, like many others, uh, some of the best of the best um, in the the height in the in the the height of the Monday Night Wars. Uh, while the ratings reflected a a dominant WCW, I was always in the camp that the that the the best of the best was in the WWF, and this was. Um, this match, like you said, very underrated and uh, something you wouldn't see on Nitro in terms of quality from talents that, you know, weren't as good as they were allowed to be, but were shining through regardless. So, uh, great choice, great selection to, uh, to dive into for sure. Yeah, now originally it was going to be kind of a two-for-one watch party. We were going to watch... This match and the the on the other side over in WCW, the main event of their May pay-per-view of Slamboree was the NWO Wolfpack, uh, Hall, Nash, and Six against Ric Flair, Roddy Piper, and Kevin Green from Slamboree 97. That was in Charlotte. That's a really fun match. Um, and the build-up for that was pretty good as well. I've, I've talked about that on... Uh, on a, on a recent episode of Kicking Out of Two, as we covered uh, a, an April Nitro, uh, did a, did a recap of that. But um, just before I get into, as we get into the the, the watch along here, those of you who have been keeping track on social media, I put up something recently regarding the the activity of the podcast. We're still doing it. It's it's still a thing. It's just not going to be a weekly thing. Um, at least once, maybe twice a month, I'm going to be dropping episodes. Sometimes I might have you know three or four. Uh, up for the month as well, but uh, you know, due to you know my, my my real life work schedule and how that's consumed a significant amount of my time, it's become very difficult to execute a, a weekly podcast um, for all of you. But you know, I still got the passion. I still love doing it, and uh, I'll still keep doing it. But it's just not going to be a weekly thing. So uh, I appreciate everyone's support, understanding when it comes to that. Um, you can find all the archive shows over at Retromania um, on the on Podbean by searching Retromania with a W. Um, great podcasts over there as well. Cool Truth with AC, Marking Out the Days, uh, Gaijin Wrestling Radio, Hulkamania is Dead, Origins of Attitude, so much other great content as well as Kicking Out at Two. Um, so yeah, check that, check all that out. But just you know, keep keep in track. You know, keep, I'm sorry, keep in mind. Um, won't be a weekly thing, but I'm going to be making sure I'm going to be pumping out, pumping out some content um, when the time allows it. So uh, I won't. De- I definitely won't go months at a time anymore. It'll, it'll probably just be like once or twice a month, you know, maybe three or four times, depending on my schedule, depending on the anniversaries. I like to cover a lot of anniversaries in wrestling, big milestone years, 97 being one of them, 25-year anniversary as to how big um, and pivotal 1997 was just in, in wrestling as a whole. So um, 
I'm still going to cover some Nitros and WCW stuff. And over on the other side of the aisle, uh, Kobe and myself, we do uh, extreme watch-alongs covering ECW Hardcore TV. So I don't know what my schedule is going to be like doing that. But um, you know, we're, 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 we're covering the landscape of 97 over on Retromania and trying to make it happen. Um, and you know, I will probably mess around with the format with this particular show kicking out at two and to, uh, you know, make it user friendly. So, uh, look, you know, appreciate all the support and, uh, you know, hope you're sticking with us. So, um, with that being said, grab your peacock, um, fire it up, make sure it's all ready to go. Um, and you're going to hit the WWE hub on the peacock and you'll go to, um, premium live events. You're going to search for In Your House, Season 3, Episode 3, A Cold Day in Hell. And uh, I'm, I'm, what, you, what I want you to do is fast forward all the way to 1 hour, 17 minutes, and 8 seconds, and then pause it. And you'll see five empty chairs with the WWF logo in the left corner. And that this will be the start of the main event. So we're going to watch Stone Cold Steve Austin, Undertaker, for the, uh, the, the WWF Championship. This watch along is probably going to run about 30 minutes or so. So uh, it's not going to be a, a arduous, long, uh, two-and-a-half, three-hour fair like I've done in the past. But this this match is a lot of fun, and hopefully you can uh, watch along with us. So when I say play, we're going to hit play. Um, I might have the audio up from time to time. I'll give you a little bit of a timestamp. And, uh, yeah, just uh, you know, enjoy the, the soft lif- listening sounds of one Justin Rosenbluth and myself <laughs> as we go back and forth regarding this match and other topics uh, surrounding Steve Austin, Undertaker, 97, etc., etc., etc. So, without further ado, in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, press play. And there are the five empty chairs in this cold day in hell. Uh, I'm going to play the audio here because I believe there's a Steve Austin promo. Stone Cold Steve Austin, huh? Cold Steve Austin, your battle for the World Wrestling Federation title against the Undertaker just moments away. And JR alluding to those five seats. The Hart Foundation will be in the... with them about five empty seats because all that means is that the Hart family is going to be that much closer to Stone Cold Steve Austin. And after I whip the Undertaker's ass, I'll take all five of them and send all five of them straight back to Calgary in a bunch of wheelchairs. I don't know if the Undertaker's checked the weather lately, but I'll be damned if hell ain't about to freeze over, and that's the bottom line. (laughs) Strong promo from Steve Austin. Um, We see a clip here of a face-off between him and Undertaker uh, leading up to... uh, to this pay-per-view recently we recapped the april 21st 1997 episode of monday night raw which was the night after the revenge of the taker pay-per-view which highlighted the bret hart steve austin street fight with the whole ambulance deal and if, if you haven't had the opportunity opinion, one of the best episodes ever of monday night Raw. i would have to agree with you ever there's a i mean we're talking almost 30 years of history one of the best episodes Ever, yeah, without question. I, I would have to agree. And it, on that alone, that that se- that entire sequence from start to finish alone. You know, WWF at this time in '97, they changed their format to kind of compete with Nitro a little more. They changed the lookup of Monday Night Raw. They were going, you know, this was the early stages of the Attitude Era, so to speak. And to me, the the height of the quote unquote Attitude Era, I would venture to guess, was like probably 1998. Like when it really, really peaked with like the way that um, 
WWF was presenting their programming on Raw, the the unpredictable nature of Monday Night Raw. It was very Howard Stern, Jerry Springer. But that particular episode on April the 21st of 97 really was the, to me, was like the first time that like I remember, you know, because I watched a lot of Nitro because of the NWO stuff, but was very, uh, it was a very unpredictable episode. It was all over the place, but Mm -hmm. it was fun at the same time. And even 25 years later, I went back and watched it. I was like, Damn, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I think 97 was a year where, again, like you said, the WWF made a shift to compete. And I think they just tried so many things that were just new and different to them and what they've been used to putting out as far as a product. And I'm saying this all in hindsight because I was eight years old. So I'm not going to act like I knew about this stuff so so intimately. I feel like by the time Austin finally did win the title at WrestleMania 14, like, they had perfected the formula they were going with moving forward, yep. which was the Attitude Era. And I don't even yeah. like calling it the Attitude Era because I think, I guess even in the name, the Attitude Era was them recognizing the formula that they had just kind of figured out, you know? Mm-hmm. pre Through 97, you know, I think was them just trying to find the Attitude Era, find that attitude that they always talked about they had and kind of really, yeah. you know... You know, bromance it a little bit and and put it together and this worked, this didn't. Let's try this. Let's, you know, obviously they went very far in places like DX and then decided, okay, we can't do this. We can't do that. Oh, but we can definitely do this. Oh, we can do that. And I think that was a lot of 97. And just that sheer unpredictability of what was going to happen was what made, to me, like I said, is what made WWF far superior because it was new and fresh. Well, WCW was new and fresh too. I guess um, they were well into the formula that they were putting together. Oh, yeah. WWE, WWF was was just starting out in that with that new formula, and I think that's to me what put it over the top is just their their place in that new pre attitude era, you know, part of the war. I like how you phrased it, finding attitude, because going back and watching some of these, they were still, you know, there was elements of. You know, the, the with the Hart Foundation storyline, Steve Austin, Undertaker, um, the Mick Foley vignettes, when like Goldust kind of came out and mm-hmm. you saw a little bit more of a personal side. But they were still throwing crap against the wall to see if it would stick in little pieces. I mean, they still Definitely. had the Sultan, the real Double J, Jesse J. Fucking Rockabilly was still on the show. And, you know, like you know, stuff like, like that. Even like, even like, you know, end of 97, early 98, they were... They were trying to roll out the National Wrestling Alliance yeah. thing. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Bombastic Bob. Oh, the, the New Midnight and Express. They, you know, Bodacious Bart. Yeah. Yeah, bo- like, so they were trying shit that was stupid. And it wasn't like... Again, they, they, they really broadened their horizons. And you know this is, <laughs> they experimented a lot. And like I said, by the time we got to 1998. And, and the Austin era had begun, if you will. Um, they, they figured out what they... like. The playbook was, was finished. And they were going to start pumping out good shit every weekend at that point game over <laughs> i think we see a little bit of commotion here i think we got some visitors let's play the audio for the heart foundation making their way down to the ring here <laughs> fucking pillman So 
So Vince isn't on commentary. It's just JR and King, which I think was one of the the first shows that I can recall that the two mm-hmm. of them, you know, went at it without Vince. But JR made a, you know, another great point there. You know, I wish you could feel this intensity. Like, you could feel it as they were making their way. Like, it was a big kind of moment, them being involved in the... Uh, in, in this match here, at least as a, you know, a side piece, if you will. Um, and it's funny too, cause I, I've watched this match back and I watched it last year, right around this time. And, um, uh, in hindsight after, and I'll play the audio later, you know, towards the end of the match, but, and I'm sure the crowd always plays a part in it, especially in this match. But this is what I, I would like to. I would like to say one of the bigger and bigger calls that Jr. Oh, here we go. <laughs> He's already into it, tossing Owen over the barricade. Jr. These are probably one of the the first matches or the early matches of some of the bigger calls Jr. made without Vince being at the table. Yeah, you know, kind of having the 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 big seat, if you will, to call the action by himself in the WWF. Yeah, um, because there, you know, Vince was the one that was usually directing and you know being the one calling the shots. You know, as as the third guy, as the the play by play, the color count. He did. He, I mean, he pretty much did it. Both, you know, did them both. But yeah. to me, this is probably the first major match, in my opinion, that Jr. called without Vince. You know what? I never thought of it like that. That's a good point, considering, of course, the body of work and that would follow this. And, you know, again, he's the greatest wrestling announcer of all time, in my opinion. Yep. And, you know, his he is a, he is a voice, the voice, excuse me, of this era of wrestling um, to the point where it's 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 everywhere. It's it's a part of, uh, you know, the conversation on social media. You know, JR's calls dubbed over anything in pop yep. culture. You know yeah. what I mean? That, that's that's yeah. It, so you know, it, it, I like good God Almighty's broken yeah, in half has like been I, used in just about every vine yeah. and me. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah. And I like I like how you know I can I can I can vibe with kind of um, categorizing this as maybe the very beginning of of that soundtrack in some respects. One thing I also wanted to point out too is a few minutes ago when they when when Austin you know kind of peeled out of the ring to go after the Heart Foundation, that moment alone is just a perfect moment to highlight in terms of just the unconventional activity that took place at this time in WWF. Yeah. It didn't happen. Yeah. You, when, you, when you got in the ring, you wrestled, you locked up, you yeah. shoot each other into the ropes, you, you, you hit your move, you hit, you, yeah. you got hurt. You know, you just, you go through the motions, if yeah. you will. But, you know. Maybe under- somebody comes out at the end. Yeah, but, yeah. right. Undertake- he kicked things off right off the yeah. rip. Undertaker, sh- Undertaker shot him into the ropes. And then rather than go after the guy, he's wrestling for the championship. Yep. He want he wants to fight the people in the front row, and that created the excitement that Jr. was talking about. Yeah. Well, it was part of that excitement. But yeah, like, you didn't see that stuff no. as a fan, and it was and it kept you on your toes. And again, like went to, it, it didn't make the Undertaker look unimportant. It didn't no. make the title look unimportant. No, it just you, it added another layer of it. Yes, exactly of yeah. excitement, and and that's the thing that I think is so much about what this part this time in wrestling was is that yeah you're gonna get what's going on in the ring bell to bell but don't expect to, to expect anything except the unexpected it felt the, 
you know, that moment kind of felt, looking back at it now, watching as we're watching it, um, felt like an, that was like an extension of what you see on Monday Night Raw, you know, on a weekly basis. The, the unpredictable type of, of uh, storytelling um, when he just kind of, you know, jumped, you know, throw Owen over the railing. Yeah. Um, one thing I want to point out, you know, we're just about a month removed as we're recording this uh, from... Undertaker's Hall of Fame induction at WrestleMania, and Steve Austin's surprisingly really good last match with Kevin Owens. Um, I haven't had a chance to talk with you, you know, at length about, and it's kind of ironic. Twenty five years later, you know, yeah, you know, we're watching this match in celebration of the twenty fifth anniversary, and twenty five years later, Undertaker goes into the Hall of Fame, and Steve Austin. Has his last match at this point right now. Who knows if the Brinks truck will get backed up and we see him in Saudi Arabia in a few yeah, months. But still, all indications being, you know, last match, you know, first of many back, whatnot. The first time he's wrestled a match in almost twenty years. So, yeah, you know, he was front and center on WrestleMania promotion at, at that point, and you know, for all the reasons, you know, Steve Austin is as as is the Undertaker. They are. I don't like using the term either, but I'm going to use it just to, you know, these are goats. Yep. You know, these are the, the. You know what I mean? You can yeah. you can paint your Mount Rushmores however you want, but these two guys have can have just enough claim to any etching of their faces that yeah. they want because they're the real deal. Yep. Um, but yeah, uh, I was I enjoyed Steve Austin's uh, match. I enjoyed his exchange. I thought it was. In hindsight, well done. I would have definitely loved to have seen um, that heavy promotion of a return of a match ahead of time. But I also like the the way they went about. It was very subtle. Yeah, well, yeah, they walked a fine line and did something they didn't, you know, they had never done before. You know, basically saying, "I'm coming back for a fight. It could be a match. I'm, you know, but trust me, I'm bringing my boots and yeah. I'm, I'm kicking ass." They said everything except. Kevin Owens versus Stone Cold. Yeah, Steve you know Austin what I mean. Like I at think the WrestleMania, things, yeah. The, the things we've been conditioned to to see or believe when we watch is the graphic of the two people. You know that they'll yep. pull up. That's when you know it's real. Yeah. In any wrestling, you know, scenario, whether it's AEW, WWF, WCW, WWE, yeah. whatever. Once they throw the graphic up, you know whoever the people are in that graphic, it's happening. It's locked in. So to have that kind of put out there, you know, as close as they possibly could have um and then deliver it was a good treat i enjoyed it very much i thought they did a great job and then of course the undertaker's hall of fame speech i think was a a nice comeback story for the hall of fame brand if you will yeah um i thought he did very well with it i think i commented to you like yo this guy's gonna be on the talk he's gonna be on he's gonna be on the motivational speaking circuit and you know taker talk or yep Dead man talking. Well, they or got something. They, po- they got a podcast lined up like, for him, or some kind of you know speaking yeah. or talking segment on the that's going to supposed to be on Peacock and, soon. And, I, and and not that I was not that I'm any smarter than anybody else, but man, that was that was very obvious the minute you saw that that dude had an earpiece in and he's walking around like Tony Robbins with a yep. ponytail, just you know telling everybody about life and strategies yeah. to you know be successful, like. And, and he knocked it out of the park. Oh, yeah. Um, Over-delivered. A hundred percent. And he didn't have to deliver shit. Yeah. He's a goddamn undertaker. Yep. He could have just showed up, rolled his eyes back, and said, see ya. Thanks. And that would have been good enough. Yeah. So he 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 definitely did a great job in his 
his role, if you will, in the weekend festivities. So yeah, and again, it's it's pretty cool to be able to kind of call back 25 years prior to to you know, given what took place a month ago. So yeah, we also cool. forgot to mention too Austin's involvement in night two with the Pat McAfee Vince McMahon. Yeah. Stuff, even though, even though you know, I first of all, McAfee hit it out of the park. Okay, another one that over delivered when it came to his involvement in the match. The stuff with Vince at the end, they didn't need to make it an official match if it was just Vince and Theory kind of putting the boots to him and then the right. glass yeah, broke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have been so fun. They dragged that out. That was that was dragged out and, and that went way too long. And but you know what? You could but also- Austin say once. I mean, you and I were sitting in this room watching it. And I was like, oh, this definitely, this definitely going to have to lead to Austin. Yeah. Once that glass broke, I felt like I was 14 years old. I even jumped out of my chair. I was like, yes. Because yeah. I was like, great. He's going to save the segment, number yeah. one. And, and I think it could be argued they were, they probably, I feel like they probably even sat around and said, look, we're going to make this the drizzling shits. For, and we want people to hate the fact that this is happening. Yeah. Even could, if yeah. it doesn't make sense. Goddamn, Or if pal. it's insulting. <laughs> we're just going to make this the drizzling yeah. shits so that we can get Steve out there and he can just fucking erase it. Yep. Yeah. You know, and wash it down and he with, did. With, with, a, with a few broken skull and IPAs. And that's exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's like, it was it was simple in that sense. Yeah. But again, not, you know, how we got there wasn't a straight line. It was it was definitely, you know, a little bit more jagged. But yeah. again, it ended the way we wanted it to. And then also on the night to WrestleMania Sunday, we got to see The Undertaker again. And I, yeah, and here's did the a thing, curtain call again. And again, here's the thing I like about that too. For all the flack that WWE gets about not caring about fans, not caring about wrestlers and evil Vince this and diabolical Nick comment yeah they recognize like look these are these are some goats here that we got yeah we can't just stow them away on night one for those paying fans and then the people who are here for night two yeah. that didn't come for night would, one I yeah think that would have been I would have been a little not annoyed or perturbed disappointed I felt, but I would have been like all right you know it would have been nice to have seen them like yeah why why could they not be on the show and I feel like why not exactly yeah. and I think they thought like look let's just let's get these guys particularly on the show so that these paying fans who pay just as much money as the fans the night before to let's get, let's give him, let's give him some of this, you know? And I, and I, and that's, they serve the audience. More than likely though, I would venture to say 85, 90, even 95% of the people that were in that building on night two were also there for night one. Like more more than likely. Yes. Um, But you know, you, you, but there, but there is a small percentage I'm sure that were like, you know, Oh, I can't afford night one, you know, especially, you know, a, family a husband wife maybe you know a couple of kids you know yeah. they can't shell out you know seven eight hundred bucks right. each night but so yeah and then you also look at it too from the vantage point of like it's wrestlemania man what can happen you can't predict so yeah. why not put them out you can't there miss if night can. if you're if you're gonna go to night one you can't miss night two yeah. you don't know what night two is gonna yeah. be about you, you can't know? just assume up oh, i saw steve i saw taker yeah you know night two is gonna suck and i feel like actually within these two night manias we've had in recent years that that's kind of like the, the sentiment that people get night one ends and we're like, oh God, that's not going to, how are they going to match that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that, man, night, night two, two night, you look at how, you look at how they, they delivered night one. And then you're like, I can't see night two with the weaker card or whatever opinion that you may have about it. I can't see night two over delivering as well. Like, Oh God. So yeah, you definitely have the room. I think when you're probably creating to fuck it, let's just, let's just do stuff. You know yeah. what I mean? And then that's what I think they, they, they figured on top of again, like, look, let's spread that prestige. It's WrestleMania on both nights. Why mm-hmm. make it less of a WrestleMania on the night after? Yeah, yeah, good point. I want to ask you something about you know these two in particular. Yeah, this is arguably my favorite Undertaker Steve Austin match that the two of them had, and 
I think we've had conversations about this before, but it's been said amongst people in the industry and in interviews and you know podcasts I've listened to that these two did not have the best chemistry. As as larger than life that they were, two polarizing figures in WWF, WWE, their matches following this were not that good. No, they weren't. You know, the this the I will say, you know, this is like I said, this is my favorite match. The build up to it was pretty good. Austin was red hot, just turned babyface. You got the hearts involved as we're watching them sit in front row. And you know, the, the match has been good so far. It's it's a great match overall. But the Highway to Hell build in 98, I thought was tremendous, but Austin's injury in the match played a big part as to why it wasn't as good as it uh, it could have been. I like to think because again, I've as I've said before in previous episodes, I was not a fan of Steve Austin due to again the the the, the rivalry with Bret Hart and the Hart Foundation and my allegiance to to Bret Hart and the Hart Foundation. At the time of this match happening, to me, I didn't think Steve Austin was in the league of an Undertaker to even be in this match. And I thought that Steve... So, but, I thought it was kind of rushed that he got... I'll be honest with you. I thought it was kind of rushed that he got the title. Ooh. Or got, got the title shot, I should say. Oh, I was going to say, like, we're talking yeah. 98. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought, like, to me, despite how his history-making, or historic, rather, despite how historic his match with Brett was at WrestleMania 13... Um, we all woke up the next day and we're like, okay, that was just a match. I don't know if we looked at it at that time with such reverence, the mm-hmm. WrestleMania 13 match. And I know I say that having, we, we, we you know, watched it together here. But um, the point I'm making is that I feel like for me personally, this match for me did more to see Steve Austin as a main eventer than his match at WrestleMania 13 did. I know that's the match that everyone talks about is, in terms of how, how brilliant it was the double turn, and it certainly was. But to me, he hung with The Undertaker, and I believe... Well, again, I just think this was the match that, for me, I didn't. it didn't make me like Steve Austin more, but it definitely saw him as a main event. Saw, I saw him more as a main eventer after this match. Interesting. See, I also, I've, never, I've never thought of it that way. To um, me, again, and again, that's saying that with a bias against him because yeah. I didn't like him, and it, I wasn't in love with him either. I just felt like, okay. I've always been curious, though, because of Bret Hart's injury, was this match even supposed to happen? You know, mm, I, yeah, I I wonder if Bret was point. supposed to continue something with Austin, or if it was maybe maybe Bret was supposed to do something with Undertaker at this pay per view. I don't know. Um, Shawn Michaels wasn't really. Shawn Michaels was in and out. I mean, yeah. he was on TV, but you know, one week he was off. Mm-hmm. He was still doing stuff with the Hearts. He kind of found his smile, not fully. Um, so yeah, I've always been. I've always wondered, like, did Bret's injury? Was this plan B? Let's just put it that way. Was Austin Undertaker plan B for this pay-per-view? Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know? I mean, it's I mean, just, look, it's hard to argue against it now. Um, I just felt like this was a match that did wonders for him. I was more of a fan of the stuff they did in the Attitude Era. Mm-hmm. Um, because by that time, Austin was the man. The man, yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, he's a made guy. And I dug the ministry stuff, you know, and... and that type of collection of talent that was together. It's weird because the buildups for each so following this match, the buildups for each of his each of these guys' matches with the two of them were great. But then when it came time to pay per view, it just wasn't really like like all right, so Highway to Hell, SummerSlam, ninety eight. Unbelievable buildup. 
The bit, you know, Vince being the one stirring the drink. Is Kane aligned with Undertaker? Is Austin got the odds stacked against him? Are they aligned with Vince? You know what I mean? Sort of thing. There was all of that that factored in. Is Kane still Mankind's tag partner? Et cetera, et cetera. You know, all those moving parts. Then, no fault of his own, but Austin suffered a concussion and the match, you know, suffered, you know, in terms of quality. Yeah. Okay, I get that. Then, they get a retry. Not even a year later. And it was the night that Owen Hart died. Yeah, Austin saves Stephanie McMahon from the Ministry mm-hmm. and him and Undertaker for the title. Mm-hmm. Undertaker's the Ministry, you know, the leader of the Ministry of Darkness. He's a little bit more darker, you know. He's got the the Lucifer's beard, not the full goatee. I'm like, okay, but you know, they unfortunately the quality of the match probably wasn't the best considering the circumstances yeah. that took place that night. I they I, had a couple of they, the the first blood match. You remember that one? Yep. The end of an era, the first end of an era, first blood match with when Vince got involved, and mm-hmm. if Austin won, Vince had Vince had to leave, etc. That was a fun match, but there was a whole lot of Vince Russo hocus pocus involved in that with Vince and then Rock and Undertaker. X Pac, I think, made an appearance. You know, I mean, there were a lot of guys involved in that match, but the build ups I felt were great, but then each match had a different set of circumstances as to why the quality of their matches, in my opinion, didn't live up to this match. And I, I was just going to say, I feel like there's a reason. My theory on that would be probably that their character work is better, I feel like, and we've had this discussion in, in other areas, but it is when Steve Austin's the heel and The Undertaker's the babyface. And the, and Steve Austin is 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 trying to cut the big man down and... And Undertaker, who's so good, you know, we're, we're, we're talking inside here. Undertaker's so good at, at, at being able to sell for smaller wrestlers mm-hmm. and make them look so good. Yep. And, you know, really add more dimensions and shine to a smaller, less impressive looking wrestler. Like a Steve Austin, on paper at least. When you look mm-hmm. at Steve Austin, you don't go, oh shit, that guy's gonna, that guy's gonna cause some damage to yeah. a much bigger guy. Where again, you're, you're looking at, a, at this point, a more strategic more i don't want to say maniacal but a Steve Austin who's a he's a he's a he's a cold-hearted guy yeah you know what i mean ironically speaking so that psychology of that type of guy trying to go after such a larger than life character and make that guy look vulnerable is what made Steve Austin so powerful in this match you know what i mean just look what he's doing right now yeah you know what i mean and you know that's the type of stuff that made makes this match the better version of these two wrestling. Cause when, you know, you get to a year and two years later, Steve Austin's the baby face. Yep. And the undertaker's the heel. Yep. And how do you make that dynamic work in a way that's entertaining? Cause when you got a big, big ass bastard, like the undertaker going after a normal looking common man, stone cold, Steve Austin, yeah. who is a never say die guy. The lane I feel like to operate in is probably a little bit harder to deviate from because you know how much how much can you really do? I feel that's just my opinion. Boom, stunner already. Opinion. So that that's that would be my reason for why this is the better match because Austin heals. You know, Undertaker oh. babyface. <laughs> to me, that's the better. That's the that's the better psychology to work with when putting the match together versus Undertaker heel Austin babyface or even okay. even babyface babyface is probably a little bit more difficult too. Well, that's what they were doing in night. Yeah. Yes, it's um no. It's a great point you make. 
Yeah, and I think that's so much of what makes matches good and bad is who's the babyface, who's the heel, because when you have those when you have those guidelines, that's how you structure the match. Who's getting heat? Who's coming back? Who's cutting who off? Oh, nice exchange here with the and damn, look at Steve Austin just hanging on. Let's let's hear the audio for this. Oof! Right on his head. Holy close. That was close. Call them fans. It's like sorry. <laughs> oh, this is great. <laughs> See, why didn't he just keep beating up Brett? He had all the free shots in the world right there. He doesn't care. He wants that. He wants them all. too that like as watching that final sequence go down like again for like 10 years prior Hogan must pose Gorilla Monsoon singing the praises of the Hulkster Austin must stun yeah well it's it it, but you know what I mean like it was such it was a happy ending it was conclusive it was you got what you paid for yep where that ending was okay the match is over but all this shenanigans is still going on and it, it leaves you with a little bit of like we'll see you tomorrow yep because you know, but it but it wasn't your nice tied up in a bow, like conclusive feel good happy. There was ending. no real definitive finale. Yeah. Now was it Austin must stun? That's where that it's it's uh it's just a different version of Hogan, Hogan must pose. pose yeah, but done in a way I feel like that was 
emblematic of the times where it was just it wasn't conventional. Yeah. You know, the match ended and everyone just stumped on like sort of beating each other up. Yeah. And then like there was all this, you know, focus on the Hart Foundation powdering out and Steve Austin and Undertaker who were opponents. Now they're like in the ring being not jovial or together. Obviously Steve Austin stunned him, but it wasn't it what it was just different. You yeah. Know what I mean you, oh, you, yeah. you so it, it just to see it go see those things go down is just further evidence of how di- nothing was going to be the same and that's what they went with in every instance where you thought you were going to see someone's hand raised and the the ears and the yep. pose and it was all different yeah you know it, i was we look at the timestamp as we're watching you know that pay-per-view was an hour and 45 minutes jesus that is you know those in your houses at least were that at that time the bigger events went a little more than two hours yeah then eventually three hours but um those in your houses as a kid I remember like, oh, why didn't this guy wrestle on the show? Why wasn't this guy on the you know, Why didn't they do a match with this person or whatever? But then you look back and you realize like, like at least now, like all right, there's five matches on that card, an hour and 45 minutes, two hours tops. Like, like that's digestible, you know, like it's not overkill. Yeah. Um, oh, definitely. And it, and for, you know, the, the traditional formula back in the day before, you know, b- before Monday nights became head to head was you built towards your pay-per-view well to some degree you still built towards your pay-per-view but on your pay-per-view you built you built towards the next night because the competition was so fierce between them so it was like you know all right you paid your 1995 or your 2495 but Mm -hmm. you know you 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 had you know the story continued the next night which i thought was was very well for for as much flack as someone like a vince russo gets for what he's contributed to wrestling. Um, that was one of the things he did do right was he would have some of these finishes on pay-per-view or some of these matches mm-hmm. that would leave you wanting to tune in the next night to get some sort of an explanation or to continue the story. It didn't just go from Monday to Monday. Sometimes it went from Monday to Sunday back to Monday. Yeah, and again, like, you know, when, again, there was more of these events in 1997 versus 1987 yep. where you had your four pay-per-views a year, yeah. you know what I mean? Where each mega spectacular was the culmination of something. You know yep. what I mean? After I mean, like was, six months or whatever. Yeah, yeah, especially at WrestleMania too. Like everything was the culmination of something and like the build-up was so big because there was all that time in between and you didn't see that type of stuff where it was like, oh my God, Hulk Hogan won. Oh, wait, wait a minute. These guys are running in to beat him up and you know, it just wasn't... <laughs> It ended, you saw what you liked, you enjoyed it, and it was over. And, yeah. and this was like, this was this tugged at the emotions more, I feel like, because you weren't used to seeing this stuff. And yeah. I, and in its, in its time, it was somewhat genius for that nature. Yeah, they were, they were testing the waters with the formula and, um, like you said, finding the attitude. And I think it, it was, that was on all aspects of the programming, between the characters, the in-ring work, the, the production, and the presentation – you know, because it wasn't traditional, like you said, the the for for the match to happen, and then you already kick things off with the the side piece angle of them out on the floor. Mm-hmm. It's, it was a great way of looking at it. But yeah, um, yeah this is a lot of fun. I, I appreciate you taking the time to sure. to come watch this back with me. Um, and uh, thank you all so very much for uh, pressing play and watching with us as well. So uh, with that being said, um, you know, I'm not sure when the next episode is going to be. I'm I'm aiming for maybe next week. Um, because there's a different anniversary. It's actually the 30-year anniversary of 
the the Wrestle War War Games match between Sting Squadron against the Dangerous Alliance. Uh, it's a, it's my favorite War Games match. It's one of the very underrated uh, aspects of that era of WCW at that time, 1992, the the Bill Watts regime, if you will. Um, I remember as a kid having the magazine with you know the WCW magazine. They had both teams. They had the double cover on each side. Uh, so uh, I'm I'm hoping to we're going to do a watch along of that. It's actually going to be a rewatch party because I've watched this match before. It's in the archives at Retromania. It was a Retromania bonus episode with Kobe Knight and myself. But uh, I thought kicking out it too could take a stab of it, stab at it on the 30th anniversary. So uh, be on the lookout for that. And with that being said, I think it's officially about that time that we put this show down for the three count. And we'll see you next time.